Hello and welcome to episode number 79 of the Draft Atlas, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? I'm Christian Bodie of DraftAnalyst.com. Joining me, as always, is Tony Pauline as we hit the Atlantic Coast Conference, a.k.a. the ACC, for part one of our preview. And we'll start in our neck of the woods with Boston College and finish far further down the East Coast with Miami. And like this podcast, Tony will be going from the Northeast down to Florida pretty soon. Isn't that right, Tony? Yep, taking a little bit of a break in the dog days of summer. I mean, uh, it's going to be nice. Uh, first vacation, really, since the end of the draft. But uh, it'll be nice. And when I come back, uh, NFL training camps will be in uh, in full bloom. The first preseason games of the uh, year will be right up against us. So looking forward to it. Absolutely. And I think all of our listeners here, as well as us, are looking forward to breaking down the ACC as well. The conference had 31 players drafted back in April, a bit short of the 40 that the Big Ten had on our last couple podcasts, but the ACC did match the Big Ten with three first-rounders, three of them from Clemson, all of them from the Tigers' defensive line, one player each from Duke, Boston College, Florida State, and NC State. All schools we're going to discuss on today's episode, with the exception of the Wolfpack. Enough about 2019, though, Tony. We're going to look ahead to the 2020 NFL Draft. Do you think the ACC is going to have similar results to the ones that did in 2019, especially in the first round? I don't think you're going to have that as many numbers. I don't think you have close to as many numbers. It's going to be Clemson heavy, and Clemson is probably going to be the only school, according to my board right now, it's going to be represented in the first round. And it's going to be very heavy with underclassmen, or I'm assuming it's going to be very heavy with underclassmen, in large part because we did see a good degree of underclassmen leave the ACC. Uh, guys who would have been seniors this year. So I don't think you're going to have as many players, especially in the top 15, like we saw, you mentioned that, you know, just the three guys alone from Clemson and then Chris Lynch from Boston College. Uh, you're not going to have that many in the entire first round, never mind the top 15. And now speaking of Chris Lindstrom, we'll start here with the Boston College Eagles. Three straight seven win seasons could have been eight last year, but their bowl game against Boise State was canceled after a long lightning delay. It's actually the first bowl game to ever be canceled by weather. But this program, even with its middling success through the past couple of years, did have four players drafted in April. Lindstrom, of course, the first-round pick of the Atlanta Falcons on the offensive side of the ball. Zach Allen and Will Harris went in the third round to represent the defense. Now looking forward to this year, running back A.J. Dillon led the ACC in rushing yards per game. Only played 10 games last year, but he was a first-team all-conference pick. A big back with surprising athleticism. Leading wide receiver Kobe White returns as well. Both players are juniors. Dylan is more likely to declare, save some tread on his tires, as is the typical trend when it comes to running backs. Both guys on our board, at least, are graded as third-day prospects. The top-graded Eagles prospect that we have is cornerback Brandon Sebastian, six foot one, finished top ten in the conference with ten passes defended in 2018, which included two interceptions as a redshirt freshman. Uh, joining him on defense is a trio of junior linebackers, Isaiah McDuffie and Max Richardson, return after solid 2018 seasons. And John Lamott is going to replace leading tackler Connor Strachan in the middle of the defense. Which of these prospects excite you most, Tony? Really, Brandon Sebastian's the only guy from Boston College that I presently grade as a top 100 pick. And that's based on where I see him going. Only a redshirt sophomore, outstanding size, six foot tall, terrific speed. Showed a lot of improvement last season. I believe he was a former receiver 
If you go back and look at it, I thought he took really well to the cornerback position. I love his upside. It's a big fall off after that. You know, people like A.J. uh, Dillon. He's a real good college back. I just don't know how he fits at the next level. A guy is 5'11", 235 pounds. He's not really fast. He's not really quick. He's a bit limited in the sense that he's a power interior ball carrier, best running downhill. Very average hands out of the backfield. You know, you're looking at a short yardage specialist, which I think equates to a late round pick. There's not a lot of room for him. I do like Kobe White a bit, the receiver. Uh, I thought he played well in 2017. Would have liked to have seen him pick it up a little bit in 2018. He didn't, but still, he goes about 5'11", 6' tall, 200 pounds, runs and plays in the uh, mid-4-4s. I think a solid guy that you can use as a slot receiver, uh, potentially a return specialist. But really, Brandon Sebastian is uh, is the top-rated prospect right now, and it's basically because of what I see uh, moving down the road. You know, And i got to say something. Uh, you know, bad move by ESPN canceling that bowl game last year between Boston College and Boise State because of uh, lightning and not, you know, fitting it in somewhere else. I mean, you got a lot of people who travel to those bowl games. You had all those people from Boston College. I believe that game was in Texas, wasn't it? To the Cotton Bowl. Uh, you had all those people travel all that way for the uh, bowl game and then the game gets canceled like that. I thought that was a bogus move. And really, that's not what college football is about. But, you know, in the day and age, ESPN can't find a place for that game on television, so the guys don't get to play. Yeah, and the strange thing about that, too, is that, if I recall correctly, that was a pretty early bowl game. I think it was still in December, like the day after Christmas. Yeah, it was Wednesday, December 26th. So there's still some time to make up a game like that. I understand not playing it in the moment, given the weather and everything that was going on. I remember sitting there watching the game and just waiting for it to restart and then obviously hearing the word that it was canceled. But you would think that there's a moment in there where they can find some time to just replay that game from the point it was at. Or another day or whatever. I mean, the, the excuse was ESPN couldn't fit it in on their schedule. ESPN has a host of networks. If you can't put it on ESPN, put it on ESPN2. If you can't put it there, put it on ESPNU. Put it on ESPN Classic. But, I, I mean, you know, basically you took a reward away from these kids, from these players, you know, who got to a bowl game, who had a good season – Never mind all the parents and families and, and, and who traveled down, you know, to see these guys. And it was really uh, an injustice to the seniors because uh, these guys were, you know, gearing up as this was going to be their last college game. For a lot of them, it was going to be their last football game ever. And yeah, I will move on to Clemson here, fresh off their own national title when they got to play their games. They obviously shellacked Alabama to win that championship. They had six players drafted, three defensive linemen in round one, as we mentioned earlier, Cleveland Farrell, Christian Wilkins, and Dexter Lawrence. This year, though, heading into 2020, no front seven players really on our radar. Mostly offense is going to headline here for the Tigers, especially in the first two days of the draft. It all starts with running back Travis Etienne. Numerous All-America honors last year, led the conference in rushing 24 touchdowns. His game is all about speed. If you watch him get to the second level, he's gone. You're not catching him. But he only has 17 career catches, so it would be nice to see more passing game action from him to prove that he can be a three-down back at the next level. Junior wide receivers Omari Rodgers and T. Higgins, they're not quite as good as Justin Ross, who isn't quite yet draft eligible, but Higgins is a 6'4 deep threat, second-team All-ACC in 2018, 59 catches, 936 yards, and 12 touchdowns. Well, Rodgers is more of a slot guy, return specialist type of receiver. Guard John Simpson earned third-team All-ACC honors last year, recently had some fighting words for Paul Feinbaum, uh, you know, the SEC mouthpiece, speaking of, ESPN, um, you know, had some comments about 
what fine bounce had. Look them up if you're curious about them. But Simpson does have experience at both guard spots. On defense, though, you're going to want to keep an eye on Isaiah Simmons, former safety, now linebacker for Clemson. Team high 89 tackles last year, nine and a half for loss, three forced fumbles, just a playmaker in every sense of the word. He's a safety on our board, but he probably could stick at linebacker at the NFL level if he gets to the 230, 235 pound range and maintains his speed. We are seeing those types of linebackers really thrive in the pros these days. But either way, no matter what his position is, seems likely to be a borderline first round pick when he does come out. Tony, what's up with the talent shift at Clemson? Well, the talent, the talent shift is a large part because of Dabo Sweeney does such a terrific job. And the amazing thing about Clemson is, you know, their top two NFL prospects aren't even draft eligible. Uh, quarterback Trevor Lawrence and uh, wide receiver Justin Ross. But still, they have a lot of good prospects that I think are going to go early in the draft. I grade Travis Etienne as a top 15 selection. I know he doesn't have a lot of uh, pass catching numbers, but when they throw the ball his way, he does a very good job catching it. They just don't need him because they've got so much talent at the receiver position. But when you watch ATN as a ball carrier, I equate him to a much tougher version of CJ Spiller. And what I mean by that is he's always keeping the play in bounds, always working to pick up positive yardage where CJ Spiller was a uh, running back who consistently finished plays by stepping out of bounds. ATN's got great speed. He beats defenders into the open field. He can run to daylight. He shows his speed and quickness to turn the perimeter, get around the edge. Uh, He's tough on the inside. He can string several moves together. Not the biggest guy in the world, He's going to go about probably 5'9", 200 pounds, but really a tough, quick, explosive playmaker, uh, a skill position guy who I think you can use uh, in a variety of ways. You get him the ball in space, he's lethal. Isaiah Simmons is a guy who I absolutely love. If you go back uh, to my Clemson preview in 2018 after his redshirt freshman season, as you said, he played safety. I had him highly graded then. And he just improved last year when he was moved to linebacker. Uh, A guy who is an incredible athlete. I mean, when he enters the draft, he's going to put up some massive testing numbers. Uh, He's basically sort of that hybrid linebacker safety that we're seeing more and more of uh, in the NFL, the Jabril Peppers type of guy, type of player. Tough against the run, forceful on a blitz, great in space. I mean, great in pursuit, solid cover skills, love his upside. Uh, and again, I grade him right now as a first-round pick. I like both of the receivers, Amari Rodgers, T. Higgins. I think Amari Rodgers is slightly faster, which is why I have him rated slightly higher. You mentioned John Simpson, who I've graded as a third-round pick. Not the most nimble guy, not the uh, the swiftest guy, but a real tough, slug-it-out, punch-in-the-mouth uh, type of player. Keep an eye on Sean, uh, Sean Pollard. I have him graded right now as a seventh-round pick. He was someone who was moved in and out of the lineup last year because they had so much talent on that Clemson offensive line. Likely to be a starter at center this year. Played a little bit of uh, tackle last year. He's smart. He's tough. He gets the most from his ability. A lot of people aren't talking about him because, like I said, rarely played last year. But I think he has the opportunity to really boost his draft stock with a good season. Now, Duke comes off an eight-win season. They thrashed Temple in the Independence Bowl. Daniel Jones had a monster game. And speaking of Daniel Jones, he was the one Duke player drafted in April. Obviously, a polarizing pick going number six to the New York Giants. But for 2020, it's going to be all about defense at Duke. Although nobody's going to sniff a top-six pick, may barely sniff a pick in the first six rounds. Their lone chance, though, is defensive tackle Trevon McSwain. Broke into the starting lineup a few games into the 2018 season. 
six foot six, but only 300 pounds, needs to fill out his frame, but definitely can cause some disruption in the backfield. 2018 sack leader Victor Demukiji returns to make plays off the edge, and defensive backs Marquise Waters, Mark Gilbert, and Michael Carter Jr. will look to step their games up into draftable territory. Right now, they all carry UDFA grades on our board. What more is there to say about the Blue Devils, Tony? Really not much. And I, I think McSwain, if he's 300 pounds, that's going to be a lot. He's more like 285 pounds. I have him graded as a six-rounder. There are some scouts who like him better as an, a late fourth, early fifth rounder. He's a real good athlete, but he's more of a first-step lineman. He's a guy that's going to have to fill out his frame, as you said. He's quick. He's explosive. But if he doesn't get the first step on opponents, you know, he's washed from the action. Uh, a guy who's got a great amount of upside, but, you know, it's got to get into an NFL weight training program. It kind of falls off uh, the cliff uh, after that for Duke. <clears throat> and let me say this, you know, when I watched Duke, I really got to uh, rewatch Daniel Jones. And like you said, I, I, I mean, Giant fans, because we're in New York, the Giant fans went apocalyptic, uh, apoplectic, whatever, whatever the term is. But I got to tell you, you know, watching Daniel Jones the second time, I liked him more than I, than I did the first time. And I always thought he was a mid-first-round choice. I mean, he's a smart guy. I, I, you know, we both remember the reaction uh, that we heard, uh, how basically the, the world was ending from Giant fans when they selected Daniel Jones. I'll say what I said back then. You want to blast the, the fact that he was taken with the sixth selection, fine, but don't blast the player. I mean, Daniel Jones, I liked him better the second time around when I saw him, and, and I was very high on him to begin with. The Giants got themselves a heck of a quarterback. Now, we'll get to our final four teams in just a moment, but before we do, please support the Draft Analyst by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave us a rating and a review. If you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Tripodi at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst One, and at Believe Podcast to get in touch with the show. Now moving on here to Florida State, Seminoles didn't make a bowl game for the first time in a long time in 2018, but they still put two players in April's draft, both from the defensive line in Brian Burns and Demarcus Christmas. Burns obviously went in the first round to the Carolina Panthers. Another first rounder is unlikely in 2020. There may not even be a day two pick in the bunch here. Tamari and Terry and Keith Gavin are probably two of their top prospects. They return as the team's leading receivers. Terry averaged over 20 yards per catch, but he's not a burner, a guy who uses more of his 6'4 frame to make plays downfield and in the red zone. Running back Cam Akers was a highly tatted recruit, struggled last season behind a bad offensive line. A bounce-back season could see him leave for the draft. But besides those players, the rest of the focus at FSU is going to be on the defensive side of the ball. Quarterback Stanford Samuels was fourth in the ACC with four interceptions at 6'2". He's four inches taller than fellow cornerback Levante Taylor, who struggled with injury last season. Moving to the front seven, defensive tackle Marvin Wilson is a player to watch in his first season as a full-time starter. Last year in part-time duty, had three and a half sacks. And linebacker Dontavious Jackson returns after 75 tackles last season. Could fit in somewhere on day three. Tony, what did you glean from the Florida State film? Yeah, not much. You know, it could be another tough year for Florida State. They're going to have a change of quarterback. Uh, they don't have great skill players, which Florida State usually has. They've got receivers that stand out, running backs that stand out. I mean, my top-rated prospect right now is the guy you mentioned, Tamarian uh, Terry, and he's only a third-year sophomore. I have him graded as a fourth-round pick. You know, a solid pass catcher pretty quick, but he's not really big, 6'3", 200 pounds. He's not really fast. He's solid in all areas. He's got an upside, but I don't know that upside is going to break him into the top 100. I do like Marvin Wilson a lot. I think Marvin Wilson is the guy. I've got him graded right now 
as a uh, fifth round selection. I think if he has a good season, he can move north up draft charts. Big wide body guy, six foot four, 320 pounds. He's explosive. He's quick. He shows the ability to uh, overrun blockers and get penetration up the field. He's going to need some help on the inside, especially with the defections or, you know, with Brian Burns and, and the Marcus Christmas now uh, on their way to the NFL. But I think he's got a decent amount of upside. A lot of scouts like their inside linebacker, Dontavious Jackson, more of a two-down player, 6'1 and a half, 235 pounds, tough run defender that's got to come off the field on third down on passing situations. Some people like Levante Taylor. I've seen him uh, uh, graded outside of the scouting community as a uh, second-day selection. I have him as a seventh rounder. Scouts are torn on him anywhere from the middle of round five to a priority free agent. I think Taylor, there's nothing special about his game. Is he a safety? Is he a cornerback? He's got average size, five foot 10, 180 some odd pounds. He's not the fastest guy in the world. Can't make plays with his back to the ball. I mean, I think he has an opportunity to move up draft boards uh, if he has a good season and works out well. You know, but we've seen, you know, except for Derwin James, you know, we've seen some highly touted uh, uh, defensive backs in the past from Florida State that people talked about didn't have good seasons and then worked out poorly and fell down draft boards. I think Levante Taylor is being overrated outside the scouting community. Now Georgia tech has made a bowl game every other season since 2014, one of three ACC teams though, with no draft picks in April. And it's likely to happen again in 2020, unless quarterback Trey Swilling enters the draft after his redshirt sophomore season started 11 games as a freshman, great athlete at six foot, 195 pounds, Flash is a first-round upside, but obviously still has some development to do to get to that point. Not a ton of interest here outside of Trace Willing, Tony. couple undrafted offensive linemen, UDFA grades. But who should we watch out for out of Swilling and any of the other guys on the depth chart? Yeah, really, it's just Swilling, uh, who, by the way, is the son of Pat Swilling, the former All-American that had a long, successful NFL career. Uh, a good player in his own right, uh, both on the college and the NFL level. And even with Swilling, I mean, Swilling's like uh, the Boston College kid who I spoke about earlier, Brandon Sebastian, in the sense that he's very unpolished. And it's I give him a third-round grade, but it's what I project down the road as opposed to you know the flashes he's showing now. So we'll have to wait and see. You know, They had a coaching change there. And one thing about Paul Johnston, he got the most out of his team he got those guys to play up above their level of ability, uh, which is why they were consistently in a bowl game. But, you know, they had average representation in the NFL draft. Now, Louisville is our second straight team on this episode with no players drafted in 2019. On the field, the Cardinals also snapped an eight-year bowl streak. Last year, they were winless in conference play, two total wins without Lamar Jackson. They got coach Bobby Petrino axed. Appalachian State's Scott Satterfield has taken over the program but he doesn't take over a contender. However, there is some talent on the offensive side of the ball. Wide receiver Des Fitzpatrick, his production tumbled without former teammate Lamar Jackson. Just 31 catches for 422 yards and three touchdowns in 2018. But he's six foot two, showed some red zone chops with nine touchdowns in 2017. So hopefully he can get back to that level of production. Fellow wide receiver Seth Dawkins is another player looking to rebound. He should see more time with Jalen Smith gone to the NFL. Tackle Makai Becton is our highest-graded Louisville prospect, a two-year starter and a true junior, six foot seven, almost 370 pounds. So with great size comes great strength, and Becton has all of that. Many scouts peg him as a second-day guy. Tony, I know you're quite a bit lower on him. Why is that? 
he's a big guy that I think is very unpolished in his game. You know, some scouts have him as a second round pick, as you mentioned. Uh, I I think he's just a big guy and he's a work in progress right now. Uh, I think he needs a lot of development in his game. He's got the underlying skill, uh, but I just see someone who's kind of stiff. He's not really good on his feet, not good in motion. I think he's strictly a right tackle. You know, he, he's solid. He's, he's just, just not – I don't think he deserves some of the early grades uh, that scouts have given him. You know, you mentioned Des Fitzpatrick. I mean, another receiver who kind of fell off the face of the earth last year. If you remember Jalen Smith, who we saw at the uh, senior ball. I mean, Jalen Smith off the 2017 film was considered a third-round pick. I, I believe he went undrafted. I may, I may stand to be corrected on that. Well, obviously, he went undrafted because Louisville had nobody drafted last year after a terrible 2018, and it was the same situation with uh, Fitzpatrick. I mean, Fitzpatrick was very good in 2017, relatively productive. I think he's got next-level next, uh, next level potential. But really, it, it falls off. Seth Dawkins is another receiver, a bigger pass catcher, doesn't have great speed. Uh, I grade him as a six-rounder. Scouts have him as a priority free agent. But again, I mean, it's, it's been a big fall from grace for the Louisville Cardinals. Now, speaking of falls from grace, we're going to move on to Miami here, our last team on this episode, a team that fell short of eight wins last year for the first time since 2014 after a 35-3 bowl game loss to Wisconsin where Malik Rogier rushed for almost twice as many yards as he passed for. I think he ran for 90 yards and threw for 46. It was just a ghastly performance from the Hurricanes. But they actually had as many players drafted as Clemson did with five. None of those came before the third day, though. They do have two players that could beat that draft evaluation in 2020 in cornerback Trajan Bandy and defensive end Trayvon Hill. Bandy was a third-team All-ACC selection Tied for eighth in the conference with 11 passes defended. Good ball skills, but he's short at five foot nine. Hill's a player who was booted from Virginia Tech last year. Lacks great size, but he's a really good athlete off the edge. It'll be interesting to see if he can hit the ground running after missing a season. And he had a high grade coming into last year, I know, from you. So we'll see if he can maintain that heading into the 2020 draft. Linebackers Shaq Quarterman and Michael Pinckney are the team's leading returning tacklers. Quarterman was first team all-conference. Pinckney earned honorable mention. 14 of Quarterman's 82 tackles went for loss. That was tied for 11th in the ACC. But Pinckney's a better athlete, just hasn't produced at quite the same level as Quarterman has. Tony, how do you view these Miami prospects? Well, I think the program's heading in the right direction. I mean, Bandy's a little bit short. Uh, basically, those 5'9", maybe 185 pounds. So he's going to be downgraded because of uh, the lack of height. But he's got terrific ball skills. I, I grade him as a third rounder. I love watching him play. He's very adept at making plays with his back to the ball, uh, which a lot of college cornerbacks struggle to do. You mentioned Trayvon Hill. You watch the 2017 film. Trayvon Hill was a monster pass rusher in the typical Virginia Tech mold. Basically, linebacker size, but coming out of a three-point stance, fast and explosive off the edge. I really like what I saw from him. Uh, graded him as a third-round pick. As you said, he was dismissed from Virginia Tech. I heard there were a couple of infractions or off-the-field infractions, and then there was a blow-up in the locker room after the game when uh, Virginia Tech was upset by Old Dominion. He was dismissed from the uh, program uh, just days later. Uh, now he goes to a situation where, where I think it suits him perfectly in, in Miami. I mean, if new coach Manny Diaz uses him correctly, we're going to see Trayvon Hill wreak havoc on the college level, which could help his uh, draft stock. 
their three uh, linebackers seemingly have been there for the past decade. And Michael Pinckney, Shaquille Quarterman, and Zach McLeod. You know, Quarterman is the higher-rated guy by, by NFL scouts, but I happen to like Pinckney because he's the better athlete. He's more explosive. He's faster. He covers a lot of area. I think Quarterman's the type of guy that you know, ten years ago was the type of linebacker that people liked—the big inside, you know. Uh, guy who could stack well against the run or take on blocks. But I just think in today's NFL, Pinkney's the guy that's going to be selected higher because of his athleticism, because of his speed, because of his ability to get from point A to point B very, very quickly. And that's it for the 79th episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. We'll wrap up the ACC on our next episode, so tune in next Thursday as we go over the top prospects from programs like North Carolina, North Carolina State, and more. And don't forget to make your way over to draftanalyst.com for our individual team prospect previews as well, with write-ups on several players, along with grades for every ranked player from the programs we've covered so far. For Tony Pauline, this is Chris Tricotti. See you next week.